talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. No shirt, no shoes, no vaccine, no entry. What's the problem? Enjoy your curbside pickup. Ted and Diane are in the newsroom. Ken and Lisa are on the street. Will is on the board, and here's Scott Thompson. You can tell he's been stuck. Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.09. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willers getting back at the station. It is Hamilton today. Uh, Ted Michaels and uh, Diana Weeks here as well. They're in the newsroom. Uh, the rest of the crew out on the street watching what is going on in Hamilton today. Feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. There's lots of ways to do that. You can send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Phone lines always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell facebook and twitter as well feel free to jump on board our uh, social media pages all right diana picks the song today got the billy talent rocking it out yeah and uh fallen and tell us the significant <laughs> tell us the significance here tell the class well you know i i know the first day of fall was not today it was earlier with was it yes i think it was yesterday was it not yeah, first day of fall? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So today... First actually, full day was full, yesterday. Full, yeah. First full day. Today actually felt like fall for me. Like the air was crisp. Bingo. I could smell fall in the air. It was just a beautiful morning. And milestone, today I got my first pumpkin spice latte of the season. So fall's here, everyone. <laughs> it's official. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you actually bought a pumpkin. No, not yet. Because I have seen them out and about. Yeah, come on, get them. Just sit them on the step. As long as you don't carve them now, they don't rot out. I tried Although to my grow kids... them. I tried to grow them. Have Scott. you done that? Well, the thing have is, I planted them in, in uh, when did I plant them? I planted them early in the summer, which is when you're supposed to plant pumpkin plants. And I yeah. didn't know that they got so big and they grow out like on the ground, not up. Yeah. They grow horizontally. Like an octopus. Yes. Yeah. And they took over everything in my garden. So I had to chop it back. So I'm pretty sure I killed it because there's no pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> really? Because you usually get quite a few out of them. We've done that. I remember doing that uh, when the kids were young. Yeah. Uh, and again, we would buy we would buy a pumpkin early and, oh, we got to carve it. Well, no, you can't carve it now. All right. Sure enough, you got to carve one. And then by the time Halloween actually arrives, it really does look pretty scary with uh, all kinds of colorful mold on it. And yeah. usually the lid dropping in off the top. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm thinking fall and leaves i'm thinking something more soft and romantic something you know that kind of song i wasn't fallen leaves bah, 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 you know. <laughs> well billy talent's a good ontario band i think they're from mississauga if i'm uh, correct so absolutely yeah. absolutely all right uh football fans listen up here is your poll question of the day do you think tie cats remain a legitimate contender for the gray cup thoughts oh my thoughts on this yeah. Oh, well, I think so. I'm always the positive one, as you know. So, I mean, I feel like they are a contender. I really do. I think it's going to be good. And, After well, watching them last yeah. night, too, you know, they did a really know, good job. I, just... I mean, poor Ottawa, but. <laughs> I know. That's that's exactly, uh, yeah, they, that wasn't a good, that wasn't fun at all. My son and I were watching that for a bit, and uh, it was quite painful. It was clear, it was pretty clear early on who was going to take that game. Yes. All right, that is your poll question of the day. I want to bring in Marvin Ryder now to Group School of Business, McMaster University. A couple things to talk to him about, including uh, office vacancies and the Evergrande debt crisis and what that is all about. Marvin Ryder is with us now. Thanks for the time, Marvin. Hope you're well. I'm fine, thank you. Glad to be with you. 
Uh, let's start off with the Evergrande debt crisis uh, coming out of China. What is this about? Why is this making news here? Well, I understand all of those questions. This is a company that, for most people, has operated underneath the radar, and yet it is a gigantic company. Evergrande started 25 years ago, and at that point it was primarily a land development company in China, meaning that it would uh, take a piece of property and it would build apartments or condos, flats, as they say in other parts of the world, and sell them to different people. Now, over time, they had success at this, and they grew, and they grew, and they grew, Today, the company has $2.5 trillion, that's with a T, trillion dollars of assets, but most of the growth has been financed through debt. And they've now hit a little stumbling block. They have contracted to build something on the order of 1.2 million uh, flats in China. Uh, they were borrowing money to help finance that construction. Most banks now feel that they are over-borrowed, so they aren't going to lend them any more money. But in the meantime, they haven't got the flats finished, so they can't collect the final dollars there. And people who have loaned the money want them to make a payment. So they're in great danger of defaulting. And given the size of this company, it could send a major shockwave around the world. This is why we're all paying attention to it. In a way, it is like Shearson Lehman Brothers, which defaulted back in 2007 in the United States, Again, due to, in this case, wasn't land development, but mortgages in their situation. And you might remember what came of that. When they went under, they took the rest of us into a recession. So that's why we've all been paying attention. But uh, just to finish the thought off, I can tell you that the, the issue is not quite as bad as it was earlier this week. Um, just yesterday, the Bank of China... Uh, both injected some cash into the markets to calm some fears, but also uh, did a, a loan guarantee for Evergrande and has bought them some time. So they are able to make some of the various debt payments they need to make this week. They're hoping to do some restructuring, and they're hoping they can avoid any of these problems over the next month. We're not clear of this. We haven't dodged the bullet completely, but we've taken a step back from the edge. Uh, how has this happened, especially with the Chinese Communist Party sort of monitoring uh, everything? How do they balance this, the fine line of capitalism here? Well, let me break those into two questions. How did it happen? Um, you know, Evergrande reminds me a little bit of Bombardier. Uh, they've had, a, had some success, and they started to get into other things. So today, the Evergrande company not only does it do this land development, building these apartments, but they own uh, some theme parks. They own a couple sports teams. Uh, they bought a chunk of an insurance company. So they started to uh, you know, diversify. They started buying into other things. And in my mind, they lost focus. And they kind of got it in their head that they had this magic touch that anything they could do would be a success. And it turns out the more you diversify, the more headaches you acquire. And they have not been able to touch everything and make it magic. How did the Chinese government let this happen? I think basically it got a little too big for them to even understand, and they just didn't realize on a day-to-day -day basis how, how weak this company was becoming rather than stronger through all of its diversification. Now, to your second part of your question, you're absolutely right. China is officially a communist country. That's at least the name of the government that, uh, that, that runs the place. But I can tell you, I've been to China, I've been fortunate to have been to China three times. I have never met a more entrepreneurial 
real people. And so we have this funny split where the government declares itself as communist, but almost everyone in China is very entrepreneurial. They're all looking for a way to make some money. Uh, so what the government does is kind of turns a blind eye to that entrepreneurship, or even maybe I can go farther and say even encourages that entrepreneurship because it fulfills China's wishes of being a bigger and bigger player on the world scene. Again, not to put too much on this, but the world's largest economy is the United States, but number two is China. And the belief is that probably within 10 to 15 years, the Chinese economy is actually going to be bigger than the American economy. And the Chinese government likes that. They like that extra economic clout that comes with it. What they don't have is the same experience of, of sort of overseeing these businesses the way they do in the United States. So this is a mistake that they have made. But I don't think it's going to cause a global recession because I think they've intervened in the nick of time. They've bought sometimes, but we're still going to watch it. We're, we're not clear of it, but we're away from the edge of the building. All right, interesting. We and we we to switch uh, gears here. We've talked about this at length during the pandemic. How life will change coming out the other end. Uh, many are staying at home. They, I guess, somewhere between twenty and thirty percent could be staying at home. How does that change the the footprint that companies have, uh, office space, and and those communities around them? Uh, we're we're going to see a big shift here, are we not, Marvin? Or are we? So let me say we may see a big shift. We may see a big shift. I think we first have to realize that we're into what's known as wave four. And locally, wave four doesn't really seem all that bad. But all you have to do is look west, look to Saskatchewan, look to Alberta, and you realize that the potential is there for wave four to get worse and lead to another set of lockdowns. As a result, many corporations are saying to their employees, okay, if you're home, Stay home. Don't come back until we sort of know where this is going. Uh, we still don't have uh, probably enough people vaccinated. And so today what they're doing is stay home at least until January 1st, 2022. As a result, in major markets, these are obviously the large cities, we have a much higher vacancy rate in commercial buildings than we've seen. In, in you know, You'd almost have to go back to something like 1994, almost 30 years, 25 years, to see the kind of vacancy rates we have on average in our cities, in the downtown areas, 15% vacancy, 15%. It wasn't that long ago that it was running around 1% vacancy. And what companies are doing, they're saying, I don't, I don't really know how much space I need to have. The only exception to that is on the, uh, the manufacturing side. Manufacturing space is at a premium right now. It has virtually no vacancy because I can't do manufacturing from home. In other words, if I'm yeah. Stelco or DeFasco or anybody who makes something, I still need workers to come to a plant. I can have all the pieces they need to assemble right there, car manufacturing. So that side has a very, very low vacancy rate. But in a more white-collar profession like banking or insurance, uh, people have not returned to work yet. We're just not sure, though, what the future holds. I think the dream for premiers and the prime minister and all those sort of in government is that we will go back to pre-COVID situation, i.e. January, February 2020, and we can return to that normal. Just to bring it home here, I'm talking to you from McMaster University, but I'm one of probably three faculty members in our building. Most of these faculty members have chosen to continue to teach from home because they're concerned. They're concerned about being around these young students, some of whom are not vaccinated, some of whom may not be taking this seriously, and their personal health, they're putting a premium on. We still have a desire to get back to normal by January, but for the moment, the campus is also a virtual ghost town because faculty and staff feel safer at home than they do at work. 
Marvin Ryder with us, Groot School of Business, McMaster University, talking about Evergrande and life changing after COVID-19 on many fronts. Marvin, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. I will. Thank you. People like me who are blind, uh, we use uh, smartphones all the time if we're lucky enough to be able to afford one. But only with apps that are designed to be accessible, to work with the voice that reads out loud to us. That's not Siri. It's called VoiceOver. on the iPhone. If the app is designed to be accessible, yeah, we can use it. The problem is we don't have any assurance yet that the government will ensure that the app is in fact designed to be accessible. Many are, many aren't. It's going to be available through a smartphone app. We understand that, but there are many people with disabilities and seniors who live in poverty who either can't afford a smartphone or can't use one. Um, or can't afford the data plan you'd need to be able to uh, access the app. What we need is a vaccine exemption certificate. So you don't have to get it from your doctor. You need to get a government passport, the equivalent to the passport that you can present that just that shows that you validly can't get the exemption so that you don't face discrimination. More proof this is not cut and dry. Uh, what a very, very complex issue involving uh, a lot of very complex situations uh, and further proof that sometimes a one size does not fit all. Uh, good afternoon. It is 421. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine here. Send us your notes. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, Ontario's vaccine certificate system now in use. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert and advisor, medical doctor as well. And he is with us now being an expert on policy. Doctor, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well same to you scott thanks for having me uh the last clip that we heard uh the 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 person brings up a very valid point in the sense that uh if you have a person who is legitimately exempt from uh getting or can't get a uh, a covid 9 uh, vaccination is that part of the vaccine certificate program is that on the vaccine certificate yeah, I mean, public health doctors have said that medical exemptions are extremely rare and they're primarily limited to having a really a life-threatening allergy to an ingredient in the vaccine or if the person have had an adverse reaction to a first dose of the vaccine. So I think the reason why they are emphasizing that is because it's not the norm. The majority of people, almost everybody, should be able to get vaccinated if they choose to do so and therefore should be able to prove vaccination, proof of vaccination. Uh, and obviously, that's what we want to focus on. But I, I just wanted to to clarify with the exemption. I believe it was announced when uh, this was in its infancy, this vaccine certificate, that those exe- uh, those exemptions would also be on that same document. Would that be accurate? Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that what they were trying to say here is that if you do are if you are exempted from getting the vaccine, you would need your family doctor uh, or another physician that is taking care of your health to actually provide you that letter to say that you are, uh, in fact, exempt from getting vaccinated. And obviously that not as easy as some may think, and we're going to touch on that in just a sec. But before before we get to that, I wanted to ask you about uh, the allegations against a Richmond Hill doctor who was writing exemptions for $50 and had a lineup outside his office. Well, the College of Physicians and Surgeons are currently conducting a full investigation of that physician that was providing exemptions for patients. Apparently, the lineups were quite long over the weekend of people trying to get such an exemption. But until the College of Physicians and Surgeons conduct a full investigation, it's really hard to determine the, the, you know, the extent and the, 
the breadth and the depth of uh, this physician uh, if he allegedly did do such a thing. All right, let's uh, touch on this in a sense that some are looking for an out, but this is not mm. an easy out, is it, doctor? I mean, uh, and, and tell us what would exempt you from, from such a shot. And, and I would think that most of the people that can't get it probably want it, but can't for health reasons. We should also point that out. But, but what would qualify you? Who would be exempt from this? People that and and, and how, would you, how would you get that status? You get that status to your family doctor. That should be your first primary contact. So if you are medically exempt from getting the vaccine, my suggestion would be, which is the same as what's been announced before, is that reach out to your family doctor and ask for that. What we have heard is that the exemptions are really provided for people who have a life-threatening allergy to the vaccine uh, or they've had an adverse reaction to the first dose. And if you've had an fr- adverse reaction, that would be documented uh, in your health record. So it's very easy for your family doctor to see that you've had a reaction to the first dose and therefore you're, you're, you are not double vaccinated because you are, and therefore you are exempt from such a certificate. And they can provide you a letter uh, to state that, that this, this patient specifically is exempt from getting the, uh, or presenting a vaccination certificate for the following reasons. That's really the only uh, exemptions that seem to be out there right now from public health agency on why people don't have to provide proof of vaccination. Is there a rush on people looking for this, or is this just the fringe that are still thinking it's easier than than what it really is? Well, given that our percentage of people who are double vaccinated is quite high, uh, I yeah. think that the majority of people do have already their proof of vaccination ready. Uh, when they got their second dose, they got an email from the Ministry of Health stating they have been double vaccinated. And so I think it only applies to the sub-pocket population of people who are not vaccinated. So they are either looking for this exemption uh, to get it in some format, uh, or they're looking to just not obey the rule. Uh, and it also depends on the institutions and whether they're going to enforce that, right? It's The province left it up to specific entities to decide how they want to enforce the proof of vaccination with possible fines if they don't follow the rules. Uh, obviously, before the passport or, cert- or certification or certification, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, obviously there was a demand for a certificate. Now there's a certificate and there's a whole pile of other questions like how are we going to enforce it? Is this a bit of a red herring? Because as you said, there's like already 85 percent of us with the first dose. Uh, I think it's like 79 to 80 percent with the second dose. So my goodness, we are almost there. Is there going to be that many people that are who already know that they can't get in without a certificate of some sort are going to be standing at doors demonstrating? I mean, do you think we're going to see people outside of restaurants like we saw people? a couple of weeks ago outside of hospitals. I just think we're beyond that. Are we not? No, I don't think so. I mean, listen, I think that the scenes of people protesting outside of hospitals are still breaking hearts across the country. It's a serious yeah. thing. You know, people are getting chemotherapy treatments, very serious illnesses that are happening in the hospital. Not to, not to forget our healthcare providers are really burned out and having to deal with those protesters. And I think it shows that there's still a certain population within uh, Ontario that believe that this is all a conspiracy or don't necessarily believe in the virus or the measures to control it. And so protesting was continue to happen. I think that we're going to see more and more of that as the enforcement of the vaccine certificate will continue to be. Uh, and I think that entities are institutions, whether it's bars, restaurants, cinemas, uh, gyms are going to struggle to make sure that they have track of everybody. And so we're, we're foreseeing challenges in the near future. However, they can be addressed because we know that QR model is going to be introduced in the next month by October. They're going to move more digital. 
So you won't need to provide a printout copy or an image of your proof of vaccination. Everybody should have a QR code by October. Dr. Ahmad Khalid with us, health policy expert and advisor, medical doctor, and an expert on systems and health policy. Ahmad, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. The discussion we're having here is, has have mainstream politics, mainstream political parties, even the progressive parties, are they losing the room and, and, and opening up the way for more uh, extreme uh, kind of situations, extreme parties? Uh, obviously, Aaron O'Toole tried to take the conservatives more to the center. And we know where that ended up for him. We know that the liberals constantly moving farther and farther away from the center, closer to the left, in order to uh, keep the NDP at bay. As I've said many times, and as I said to leader Jagmeet Singh, it seems uh, whenever the NDP come up with an idea that is gaining traction for them, the liberals swoop in and, and take the grocery right out of their shopping cart and and, and run to the uh, to the checkout stand. So where are we going? Has has the center been replaced by the extremes by the extreme left or right and have have even progressive parties are they losing the younger vote let's bring in john viev tallier professor of professor school of political studies university of ottawa and is with us now john viev thank you so much for the time hope you're doing well i'm doing well thank you very, very much for the invitation So your thoughts on what we saw and our mainstream political parties, even the progressive ones, still connecting with the mainstream voter and and specifically the younger voters? Uh, That's a great question. And when I see the uh, level of participation, which is around 60 percent, which is very, very low, I wonder if exactly uh, many voters or or citizens are not kind of disengaged with politics and especially the young, uh, the, the youngest voter. And so what does it mean for the future of traditional party? That's a good question, Mark. I'm not sure I already have the answer with the result that we have now. Uh, I would like to see how it unfolds in a few months or a few years. But surely the question needs to, it's a genuine question, and we could ask ourselves where, uh, what does it mean for those traditional parties like the liberals, the conservative, and, and especially the conservative where I think, that they must face a a dilemma of uh, where do we stand? Do we go more to the center or do we go back to right? And those kind of questions. It seems, you know, and we've talked about this at length uh, over the over the years. It seems we have moved to this to the extremes. There's less interest. The liberals used to be just left of center. The conservatives just right of center. And it seems each one has has left that behind. As you mentioned, O'Toole tried to bring the party to the center and he failed. So uh, what happens now? Does that does that say that that that's the direction we're 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 leaning and there is no center? I'm not sure to uh, say that for the moment uh, because yes, he failed, but maybe he not target he did not target the right center. And if you looked at his proposition, his platform during the election for that election, I'm not sure there was kind of overall message of what is the center, what is our main goal. So you had many many initiatives, very target initiative targeting very specific group of voters, but not a big project for society. So I think the conservatives did not figure out what was 
a, a more center right-wing party. And what does it mean for Canada? And the Liberals have did, did, I think, made this exercise in 2015 when they were talking about the middle class and everything was on, focused on the middle class. But since then, it kind of vanished and it went a bit more to the left. So I still think there is a center in Canada. I think also that most political parties did not put their finger on it. What is it now? What do uh, citizens want, especially younger citizens? Uh, and that's not clear for them. And probably it's maybe not clear for us either. Why the rise of the PPC? How do you explain their success? For me, that's a puzzle, and I'm not sure if it's there for long or is, if it is just a short-term phenomenon. So surely the, the pandemic, the crisis, uh, the anti-vaccine movement, that explained a lot, the rise of Maxime Bernier. Uh, now, it may be a bit more also with the polarization as we see in the U.S. So uh, we, saw, uh, we saw the right uh, the right wing movement appearing before the pandemic. So something else is appearing, uh, occurring there. Uh, a segment of the population that is very dissatisfied with what the state is doing currently. I think they believe that they don't receive anything, so they have to pay, they have to, to support many initiatives, but in exchange they don't receive anything. And so they are not happy with that and they, they, they vote for that kind of party. Uh, does Maxime Bernier does that? Um, not sure, because, as I said, maybe it's only a temporary with the, the anti-vaccine movement. But then again, maybe it's a bit longer than that. And if it is longer than that, what does it mean? Does it stays at 5% as it is now? Does it increase a bit, decrease again? It, it, is, it is an interesting election because it raises many questions, uh, but I'm not sure I have all the answer now. I uh, got about a minute left. What worked for Justin Trudeau here? Because it seemed that it wasn't going well for him, especially the anger about even having an election during a mm-hmm. pandemic. Yes, uh, I think many were afraid of seeing a conservative government uh, in power. What played, I think, was in Ontario. Uh, that was the win for it. For there seemed to be a lot of fear mongering at towards the end of the campaign, and and the prime minister was 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 using that and mm-hmm. the, the anti vaxxers and the protests and yes. such. Yes, and also the proposal of the Conservative. I think that daycare, uh, the daycare issue was right. an important issue. I think that's the main issue. And in fact, I think that Doug Ford is very pleased with the result because he's going to be able to negotiate a a, a deal with the, the federal level and have daycare program in Ontario. So that would be something out, uh, out of the way for the next provincial election. So that's uh, also important. Uh, but I think, yes, people uh, did not want it to go back to maybe a more conservative government. Stephen Harper is still there, I think, up to a point, so that may explain the, the outcome. John Vieb Tellier with us, Professor, School of Political Studies, University of Ottawa, talking about politics and the mainstream and where we go moving forward. Uh, John Vieb, thank you so much for the time, as always. Be well. You too. Thank you very much. I love the Larry. Uh, yesterday, uh, Larry tweeted a link to his uh, his column in the Hamilton Spectator, and it is entitled, Yes, This Election Mattered, Despite What Other Leaders Said. And, of course, uh, you know, every liberal trying to justify spending $600 million on an election came forward and defended him and whatever. So finally I got enough and I got my exercise. I exercised my thumbs and I got going. And then Larry and I got into it. And then, I, like, why are we doing this here? I get paid to do this on a radio show. So please, come on the air with me, Larry. And Larry Deany, former mayor of Hamilton, Hamilton always uh, takes us up on the offer and is with us now. Larry, thanks so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. 
I'm doing very well, but I'm not getting paid for this, though. <laughs> and you're still here. That proves how much you want to make your point. Yes, so, indeed. And I'm hoping you brought the velvet glove with you. All right, explain your uh, column. I'll let you go first. This election mattered despite what other leaders said in the spec. Yeah, and so it wasn't a partisan piece at all. It, it was just a reflection on our democratic right uh, to select uh, our, our leaders, our government leaders, and our representatives. And, and uh, I just was disturbed by the narrative <clears throat> the partisan narrative that happened before the election by the uh, by the opposition at first, but then it was picked up by the media as well, that uh, essentially uh, said that the election uh, was um, useless, it, it was needless, it was unnecessary, and the only reason it was a vanity exercise on the part of the prime minister, and the only reason uh, for that was that the old parliament, at least superficially. Uh, looks like the new parliament, and therefore it was an exercise in futility. How awful is that to disparage our right to select our leaders, as we do periodically um, at all levels of government? Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, but that being said, um, I think you're underestimating the anger that people carried throughout this election. And I know nobody likes an election. And, you know, I talked to many pundits and pollsters and, and, and analysts and such that said, usually, though, that that sentiment disappears after the first couple of days. And yeah, what we were told is that that was the yeah, but the but, people, but Scott, Scott, it yeah, well, it's all. No, but I think I, I think people were still upset about this, and and that carried through the election, and most thought it would subside. Yeah, but but because the the pump was primed uh, for for a while before the election, and then the media spent the next the first two weeks of the campaign asking the prime minister why he dared call an election, and and so no wonder people were uh, disenchanted and and angry. They were told to be. And let's face it, a lot of people simply follow the news without reflecting, and the opinion shows, without reflecting really on what is being said. And, and uh, I, my friends, some of my family said the very same things. You know, I, I, I play, you know, fun poker once a month. Uh, we, we stopped for a couple of years almost because of COVID, but it's a great group. There are eight of us representing different points of view politically, different points of view in terms of how we feel, feel about issues is great. It's a great sounding board. In fact, poker comes secondary uh, to, to the discussions <laughs> that we have. And, and you know, it, it's the kind of game where if you win 50 bucks, you've had a really good night. You can't lose very much more than that either. So it's a good group, right? And, and we talked about this um, at our last game uh, that we had. And we're all double-vaxxed and, you know, so it's all mm-hmm. safe and so on. But we talked about this. And one of the fellows, a smart guy, businessman, lives in Burlington, doesn't live here in Hamilton, but he reflected that anger. And, uh, you know, why are we having this election during a pandemic? And I looked at him and I said, tell me how your life has changed. What routines have you changed in your life because of this election? He said, well, you know what? No, not really. Oh, Larry, is that an argument in your poker table? I'm surprised you walked out of there. What what I'm saying to you is that his anger had no basis in his own reality. Yes, he's going to go out. He went out and and voted, and I'm sure he voted, uh, 
you know, his, his anger was expressed in his ballot, which was his right, but it, the election didn't affect anything. And if the worst thing you can say about a political party is that they're forcing us to choose our leaders, that's not a criticism, that's an endorsement. Uh, I think, Larry, I, I think, Larry, again, you're underestimating how many people did not want this during a global pandemic and the fact that we were spending six hundred million dollars uh, well, to virtually but, end up but, at the same know, place. I now, I know I know the exercise of democracy. It doesn't matter who wins or loses. And if the parties were different, people might be changing all of this. But I think there's a difference between, uh, you know, what is what is uh, allowed through democracy and then uh, taking advantage of it. And I really think people saw this as just an opportunity for the uh, for the prime minister to get his majority. And, and, and really, I don't think he or anybody ex- else explained it otherwise. Well, so I don't remember this level of anger when we were in an economic meltdown. It wasn't a pandemic, but it was an economic meltdown in 2008. And Harper, who who ignored a, a law that said we we're going to have fixed elections, and he, because he wanted a majority, uh, went and prorogued Parliament. You remember um, the uh, he had a, a minority. Uh, the opposition parties were ganging up on him. Uh, he went uh, to the governor general and uh, and asked her to prorogue, and it was uh, Mikhail Jean at the time. And um, uh, even though even though uh, there was a fixed period to have elections, he went forward and tried to have an election to try to get a majority. He had the constitutional right to do that. I don't remember this level of anger against them back then from the media or from the public. They just accepted it and went out and voted, even though the economy was bad and we could have used that money for other reasons as well. So my, my point is that... I don't think that even stacks good. up to a global pandemic. I don't even think that compares what, you know, that's even inside politics that most people wouldn't even observe. Uh, whereas with a, global, with, a global, with a global pandemic, this has affected everyone and i think he underestimated uh that and the fact that people did not want to participate in such an event that wasn't needed that wasn't needed during a pandemic i think the whole thing is the global pandemic larry well let me tell you scott that if people were that upset they would have booted out the government i think mr trudeau and his party won 159 seats compared to the conservatives 119 so he was re-elected uh, so the punishment and the anger that you're talking about is a partisan anger ginned up by the media uh, against a prime minister who exercised his. I kind I think it's kind of funny. I think it's kind of funny that you're using the phrase "jimmed up." That that, that this was jimmed up by the media against uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. <laughs> And in fact, it appears that the media is more to the left than it is to the right. Larry, can you hang on for one more break? Yes. I, no, no. I want to talk about why this was a consequential election. Forget about his two cents. Scott has an entire vault filled with opinions. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Larry Diani is with us, former mayor for the city of Hamilton and had an article in the Hamilton Spectator, uh, which started us uh, to chatting on Twitter uh, the other night, and uh, it has ended up now on the radio. The uh, article in the spec is entitled, Yes, This Election Mattered Despite What Other Leaders Said. Larry, thanks for the time, and I hope you, uh, and I thank you again for extending your time and, and staying with us uh, over the news. Let me let me try to understand this, Larry. So 
the, I, I guess the point that you're making, as long as we've exercised democracy and every leader has the right to do this, whether it's this or pro-roving government or whatever you want to do. So because this is the, 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 the democratic system at play, we should not be angry at this. So my, my, my essential point, um, I guess two points. One is that democracy is good. And when we exercise it, that, that's positive reinforcement of a system that allows us a choice. That's the first point. And secondly, um, that, that this was a consequential election. In spite of the fact that the numbers look almost the same, the political grounds in Canada have shifted, in some cases positively, in some cases negatively, but they're different now than they were with the last parliament. So if we're going to criticize this process, democratic process because things are the same i'm saying no they're not the same and if you look at the both the micro uh, situation here in hamilton in our case because we live here and the macro nationally things have changed dramatically and um, if i can if you give me a chance to kind of list them uh, they're important in hamilton the obvious one is the fact that we used to be an ndp town uh, three of the four ridings uh, four decades have been NDP. No wonder you're so happy then, Larry. Well, I'm pleased. You know, I'm not a partisan. <laughs> you know, I've never hidden the fact that I, you know, I ran for the party. Yeah. Uh, you know, I worked with all parties and all stripes, and I have friends in all parties, but but I'm a partisan. So, yes, of course, I'm pleased in that respect. But the reality is that the Hamiltonians seem to be pleased with liberals as well, uh, as evidenced by the fact that three of the four writings have gone to the uh, to the uh, to the liberal. Let me rephrase this, Larry, because I think yeah. what's happening here is I don't think it's the rest of us that are upset because we spent six hundred million and ended up in the same place. I think it's you trying to justify it because you've got key liberal candidates where you want them. No, I'm not justifying it. I'm pointing it out. I, I'm not. I, for, first of all, you know the Elections Canada gets a budget. They pay for this. Uh, it's not that money is being taken out of a in order to to have this election. Elections Canada gets a budget to run elections, as many as we have. And with minority governments, we, it could have fallen when Mr. O'Toole voted against the budget as soon as he became leader. Uh, this was, you know, during the third wave, not the fourth wave, he would have caused the election. Elections Canada is always ready to run elections. And they get budgeted for that. So money wasn't taken from a- anywhere else. It's money that Election Canada has already given to do this process. But, but my, my, my point is, is in pointing out is that things are not the same as they were for these four reasons. Let me just list them for you. Uh, locally, the ground has shifted politically. That's important for us. Uh, nationally, Mr. O'Toole became a centrist during this election. Didn't work out for him. Because of it, he had a breakthrough in Atlantic Canada where he had no seats before. But it didn't work out for him in the 905 GTA area. But he rejected the Harper, uh, the Harper hard right and became a centrist. He's going to have to account for that within his own party. I think it's good because I think that's where you win elections, in the middle rather than on the fringes. Three, we saw the co- collapse of the, of the Green Party. Um, they, they had a breakthrough in Ontario finally, but they collapsed nationally. And fourth, and, and I'm not happy about this, we have seen the rise of a xenophobic, um, racist, some would say anti-immigrant, anti-science party in the People's Party of Canada. They're a force now to be reckoned with in our body politic. 
So we can't objectively say that things are the same now as they were before. It, the, the, the vote by people has confirmed this new reality. Yes, I, I understand what you're saying, but, yeah. you know, again, Larry, I think you're missing the point here. Nobody is questioning the process. Nobody is questioning democracy. Nobody's qu- questioning whether the system is, is bad or good. What they're questioning is why the prime minister did it now without a vote of non-confidence in the middle of a global pandemic. Everything you're saying, it, it, you know, you, you've got very valid points. The question is why would he do this now in the middle of a global pandemic? And he did it for one reason, and he did it for one reason only. Not so all those seats would change, so he would win a majority. And winning the majority failed. So then, and we ended up in the same status quo. That's why people are questioning all of this. Nobody's questioning democracy. Everybody likes to see the system play out the way that it was designed to. That's not the question. People are angry that this was called during a pandemic when they are busy taking care of their families instead of trying to get a majority government. And the prime minister missed the mark. Right. And so five different provincial governments had elections during the same pandemic. And um, we're playing and, with fire and, each and, and every time, Larry, Every because he well, bumped his back for that reason. Well, he was going to call one during the second, between the, was it first and second or second and third wave, and he pulled back when he did his throne speech. He was playing with fire the whole time, as all of those provinces were, and they snuck it in just in time. He got caught. And, and it's not a question of being caught. He was pretty obvious uh, in, in calling the election. Um, and I would say to you again the point that I made earlier. My life did not change at all during this election process. And I was volunteering in one of the campaigns. I went out and knocked on doors. And when people answered the doors, I stepped back so that we were far enough to be able to talk. People didn't say, get out of here. We are not interested in the election. They listened politely. Some said, we support this guy. Some said, we don't support this guy. So why didn't he get a majority? If he was right, Larry, why didn't he win the home run? Why did he not get his reason for doing it? Because people because people checked him and said, you're not getting a majority. We're staying with the status quo. You're looking at this like a, a an NDP and a conservative loss. The rest of the country is looking at this as the, the prime minister didn't get his majority. So he didn't get... A majority because voters decided to vote in the way that they did, which happens every election. The voters decide who gets majorities or whether we have a minority parliament. I think everybody just thinks, I think everybody just believes this could have waited. There was no reason to do this. The parliament was functioning. There was no reason for this. It could have waited a year. And, and, and I think that, you know, people are busy doing other things and the government of the day didn't seem to, to understand that. I got to let you go, Larry. We're plumb out of time. Thank you so much as always for the time. And of course, the article in the spec is yes, this election mattered despite what other leaders said. Larry DeAnne, former mayor of Hamilton. Welcome, gang. Good to have you around the table. Uh, as round or square as it is. Hello. Uh, and, you know, we talked to uh, Diana earlier on uh, in the show about this, but I wanted to ask you, Ted, because this is the poll question of the day. Do you think the Ticats remain a legitimate contender for the Grey Cup this year? Tell us why. I, I might add, Will, Will agrees with you. Why do you think so? Well, A, 
They beat a lousy Ottawa team last night, horrendous. Yeah. The week before, they beat a Calgary team whose quarterback is obviously not uh, what he used to be. They beat a terrible Montreal uh, football team. When they had a chance to play the two top teams in the league, they were 0-2, and they split with the Argos. you you got to show me more than that. Now, they're getting their injured players back. Okay, we'll see. But right now, I ain't impressed. I know that's not proper that's, English, but that was my next my that was my next point was a lot of injury here, yep. uh, including two quarterbacks. Yep. Uh, for a third for a third string quarterback, not bad. Once those people are back, your right. thoughts though that yeah. changes. Well, it does, and they're playing at home where they're playing very well. But again, they could be the best in the East. To which I say, so what? You still have to beat the best teams in the league. You haven't shown me that you can do that yet. So we'll see, Diana. Yeah, lots of time. I I mean, still until we get to that point. But I do agree with some of Ted's points. Absolutely. They definitely need to prove themselves still. Um, Like uh, Ted was saying, you know, they won last night against the Red Blacks. But... You know, it, it, yeah. that was Ottawa's, kind of a given. Ottawa and so, stinks. They, oh, God, they're horrible. But yeah, anyway. and I mean, yeah, but but yeah. they are down some They are down some players, obviously, so that, that factors in as well. So I don't know. I would like to say yes, I think so. I mean, uh, but you, you don't know, really, so it's it's tough. <laughs> I All mean, right, 24-7, though, question- that's, that's a sweep. Like, that's the, you know... But it was Ottawa yeah, again. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was Ottawa. Absolutely. Yeah, it was like playing a high school team. Uh, yesterday's poll question of the day, will the vaccine certifications lead to confrontation? 75% of you said yes. I think with 85% of us already vaccinated with the first dose, that this is a moot point. I don't think it's going to be any more issues than uh, masks. I know we touched on this yesterday. Do you want to add anything to it? I just think people... Um in COVID, generally, we have seen people's true colors. You know, there's been a lot of great stories about people helping yep. them out, but then there's always the other side. And I heard your doctor a little while ago, the story of the doctor who, and again, it has to be proven, who allegedly was uh, given $50 each by people lining up around the block to get a yeah. vaccination exemption. And the doctor said there has to be a really good medical reason. You just don't go up and say, you know, give me a note for 50 yeah. bucks. And why are they doing it? Because they want to rock the boat and maybe they're not vaccinated. So this this whole COVID thing, uh, it's gone two ways. Great stories, people helping each other. And then the other part of society that, um, you know what, uh, people uh, grow up. Yeah, it is. It is very polarizing, and there's two definite sides. I mean, there's no there's no more being gray anymore. It's nope. either black or white. Yep. And and I, you yeah. know what? I I'm obviously pro vax. I obviously got my double vax yep. and do all that stuff. But I think what's happening is that there's people with legitimate health concerns that cannot yep. get the vaccine. And what's happening is that. People are not necessarily anti-vaxxers, but I think people are very quick to jump on that and say, you're an anti-vaxxer just because they're not, you know, maybe they have an immune disorder or something that, you know, they're thinking twice about getting this particular vaccine. I personally think that's a little bit unfair just because I I think it's really starting to, we're we're starting to get very nasty with each other. You know what I mean? And I just feel like, I feel like we should, obviously everyone should get the vaccine, but I feel like it's getting ugly out there. And that's what I'm and saying. And I don't think there's, yeah, and, 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 you know, let's be honest here. We're in the media, and that is a government-regulated uh, industry. So mm-hmm. everybody in our business has to be. It's just, uh, you know, the way it is, one of the things. I wanted to ask you another question as the election came to an end, uh, finally. Uh, mainstream political parties, are they losing the room? Uh, whether it's a progressive party, uh, what have you, uh, are are there people looking? Are younger people looking for more? Are they looking for someone, even 
if it isn't their grandfathers, not only conservatives, but NDP and liberal too, are they looking for the fringe uh, party that identifies with them? I, I can't speak for young people because I'm not one, so so I don't know, but but I understand your point. But let's talk about the rise, the rise of the People's Party of Canada, the Maxime Bernier Party on the right, the fringe party on the right. It seems to be, you know, I mean, obviously, they blew the Greens away, uh, which seemed to get more press and made it to the debate. So are we going to see more of that, do you think? Well, let's put it this way. Maxime Bernier, wasn't he a member of the Progressive Conservative Party and he ran for the party leadership? And then it got yep, miffed. And be, lost. Be, so that's probably why it's starting. I would like to think that, uh, and I don't want to get into the whole thing, but I would like to think that the 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 venom that that party showed at times, for example, one member of their party was arrested and charged with throwing rocks and stones at the yeah. prime minister. Hopefully, this will all calm down. Hopefully. Yeah, I think once the you know, hopefully we get past. By the next election, we're past the vaccine passports and lockdowns. And I think that was mainly the only reason why the PPC gained such traction this time around is because all the people that are against the lockdowns and all the people that are against the vaccine passports, you know, they didn't look at the rest of the platform. They just looked at that and they voted yeah. that, you know, doesn't matter what their immigration policy is on the PPC. It doesn't matter, you know, what their policy is for climate change. It's like, well, they don't want lockdowns. I'm voting. But you got to look at the whole platform. And the last point I'm going to bring up, those people who were, you know, picketing or not picketing, but, you know, protesting and flinging rocks and all that stuff. Gee, doesn't that sound like what happened in the States last year? And how much of that filtered up here? I'm just uh, just wondering. That being said, Aaron O'Toole tried to move the conservatives to the center, and many people say that cost him. So, again, back to my initial situation, uh, my initial question, are we getting to the extremes? Where's the center? Is the center gone now? I don't know. I think what's happening is that Aaron O'Toole is trying to appeal maybe to the younger generations that are more center and more left. And I think that's what he's trying to do with the Conservative Party, because growing up, you know, like he said, the Conservatives, your grandfather's party or, or a party mm-hmm. that, you know, is uh, is older and has uh, more outdated ideals. And, and I think that he's trying to appeal more to that. I don't know. Well, maybe the uh, uh, this is my own opinion. Maybe the Tory party should change a little bit because what's happening already, the knives are out for Aaron O'Toole. It is classic progressive conservative politics. Every time somebody loses, boom, on national television, it's actually quite entertaining (laughs) watching the knives come out and watching a guy or somebody trying to keep their job when uh, people who don't want to move to the center uh, are kind of making their point. So we'll see what happens in the next little while. Here's hoping we can unite the country. Man, enough uh, enough of the divisiveness. I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine here. Ted and Diana as well. Will and I are talking off air, and, you know, I, I love Larry. He's a great guy, and I, I think he likes me. And we have great spirited discussions from either end of the political spectrum. And, uh, you know, I, I love having these debates and these chats with him. And then we go off to our perspective corners and live life. Why can't we do that anymore? It seems now that it's like, no, Larry, you're wrong. I'm going to hang up on you. Although I did take the last word from Larry. So we promise Larry can have the last word at the very end of the show. <laughs> Isn't that great? So, like, why, why can't we used to have these discussions all the time? We used to have political discussions and not get, you know, bring out the knives. I'm right. You're wrong. Ah, you know, I mean, that's why people get cynical about politics. Uh, you know, especially me involving the prime minister. I think he's patronizing. And if you don't buy into what he's saying, then you're part of the problem. 
Well, it's a big planet. There's lots of different views on it. And I would like to find a leader that unites people instead of driving everybody into their perspective corner. And I'm sorry, a lot of people are using the word populist as if it's only something on the on the right. But when a prime minister stands up and brings up abortion, starts fear-mongering and talking about, you know, look at these protesters, that's who's going to be running your country if you vote conservative, that's a populist person. It's no different. It's just on the left. And, and you know, it, it amazes me uh, that, that we, we, we have lost that ability to agree to disagree. And, you know, initially, you know, the conservatives were right of center. The liberals were just left of center. And then the NDP were farther left of that. But the conservatives, for some reason, have gone to the right. And the liberals have just continually eating, continually eating the lunch of the NDP. And they're moving more and more to the left. Leaving that gaping hole in the center, which I thought where the win was. But clearly, not this time. And... It's fascinating to me that that we're more interested in supporting our team than we are in finding a solution and a way to unite and move forward. All right, let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist for your Hamilton Spectator, where you can find Larry's article, I might add. Uh, and he is with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Doing fine. How are you? Did we get Scott? Hello. Are you there? Hello. Can you- I, oh, there you are there. How are you, Scott? Oh, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> you seem like you're in a deeper closet this time. Well, that's an interesting choice of words. I don't know if I'd use those exact words. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> All right. Let me ask you this. I had a little, I had a beautiful uh, chat with Larry DeAnne yes, uh, yes. regarding his article in The Spectator today. And, um, and, and, you know, I understand his point. Democracy is democracy. My position was, I think it was taken advantage of. All political parties certainly do that, but I really think he underestimated, uh, the, the, the anger of people, uh, having to go through this during the middle of a global pandemic. And I think once you add a global pandemic, it changes every other political example of this. But do you think, uh, you know, this time O'Toole tried to move the conservatives to the center and wasn't successful? Uh, have we lost the center to the extremes? Well, this is a really interesting thing because, you know, for years and years and years and years now, we have heard uh, experts say, you know what, the conservatives are, are way to the right and they need to move to the center to appeal to people. And so here yep. they appealed, they moved to the center just as requested. And they actually, the liberals get two more seats than they did last time and the conservatives really don't make any gains. And so clearly that theory there's no there's no money in it. There, it it's just it's not a realistic theory because even when they move to the center as you just said all the fear topics of abortion and guns and all the rest all get brought up at the last minute and then people say well they're still conservative and so to my thinking the, the, the conservatives made a mistake here and i'm not talking about being you know like far far right agitators but I think the conservatives, if they want to do something in the future, need to actually be conservative. Mm. And I'll tell you why I think that. And I'm not talking about, as I said, I'm not talking about far-right positions. What You're I'm not talking is, about anti-vaxxers. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking mostly economically, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. I absolutely, I, you can disagree with me. And if you do, um, as you just described, some people will say that I'm a horrible, hateful person who deserves to be put down. And others will say, you're allowed your point of view. Um, <laughs> I absolutely believe that we are in, I don't know when it's going to be, five years, ten years, we are heading towards 
a real economic problem in this country because of inflation, because of debt, because of deficits, because of overrunning spending, all that kinds of stuff. The Conservatives, if they want to be a party that someone is going to look at as different from the Liberals or the NDP next time, when that economic problem arrives, you want to be the one that they look at and they go, okay, you know what? We were all for all these spending things, but now we realize there's a big financial problem. We need someone who is going to look after this and, you know, make some of these decisions that we have to make. That's where you delineate yourself from the parties that just want to spend and spend and spend. And I, I think, as much as I think Aaron O'Toole ran a good campaign, the big mistake that conservatives have is what's the difference between them and the liberals? Yeah. As you say, the liberals move for the, the conservatives move to where the liberals kind of were, and then the liberals took a big jump to the left. But there's nobody now. There's nobody arguing for fiscal conservatism in this country, and I think it, so. Obviously, I don't know when it's obviously, happen, the, there's going to be a moment when we want that. So the rise of the PPC is due to the conservatives moving too far to the left, too far to the center. Except I see the PPC as a social conservative. I'm talking about economic conservatism. The, the yeah, conservatives yeah. were going to be spending their brains out too. So, but obviously, no the PPC did nip into the conservative success. Why was right. everybody interested in the why? Why the rise of the PPC? Uh, look, four years from now, or eighteen months from now, if Trudeau was to be taken his word in the French debate, or two years or whenever we go to the polls again, if there is no mask mandate or these va- vaccine passports or whatever else, the PPC loses. 90% of its steam because this is a hmm. this was a protest movement against the the government infringing on rights as the supporters saw it if that issue is gone i don't see where the ppc gains ground especially as i say if the conservatives move back economically to a more yeah. fiscally conservative platform that you you you, you don't have look there seems to be this perspective that if you're going to be a conservative party in some people's minds, that you have to move way, 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 way back to conservative. No, but you can have conservative yeah. principles in certain things. And when the financial problem hits, if it does, and I, and I pray that it doesn't, by the way, I'm not rooting for this, but I think that it's inevitable we're going to have some problems at some point. People are going to look and say, who can get us out of these financial problems? Yeah. And you want to you be the party that people then go to and go, oh, well, I guess we can't be spending everything and more. Who's going to give us that? That's why I think, look, I don't know if it would win them the next election, but at some point, you, otherwise what we've got right now is a whole bunch. Man, of, you're eating right into your own show here, Scott. we got to well, cut you off. We're plumb out of time. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> Hang we'll on. You're going to get more of this coming up after the news. Scott Radley's been with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up moments from now. 558, that's a wrap for us. We are completely out of time. Thanks to Will, Ted, and Diana for all contributing to the show today. I had the last word during the Larry Deany uh, interview, so I'm going to give him the last word tonight as he steps up on top of the CHML soapbox and gives you his last word. Scott, this debate will continue. We shall see. <laughs>